Welcome back to the Project 24 Blogging Podcast. This is episode 181. All right. Well, we're so glad to have you today, as always. Uh, today, it's myself, Anna, and Ricky, of course, and then we have a new talent, Julia, who manages our uh, YouTube videos, Income School and Channel Makers, and uh, she's been an awesome addition to the team. Honestly, like, <laughs> we really needed you. You're like the glue <laughs> that holds everything together, and uh, we just had a meeting for uh, Income School and always comes to the table with great ideas and uh, we really appreciate you and she was a project 24 member beforehand so it worked out really well awesome glad to have you all right so the first question is actually more of an announcement but it's a really good point so it's from rager and he says does anyone know when the next content warrior challenge is one usually runs in september but i haven't heard anything about it recently so it's actually funny you say that because we just announced it in the newsletter that we are holding a content warrior challenge for the month of september so that will start yeah that'll start the first of september and run the entire month and um it's just a really good challenge for you to keep yourself accountable (laughs) there's not really like a prize except for just like yep. the title. There, there's a little badge you get in the community. Yeah. Um, so each content warrior challenge has kind of a different theme. I don't even know what this one is yet. Um, but so each one has like, mm-hmm. I think there's like a content warrior Spartan. And I, I mean, there's like each one's a unique badge. Mm-hmm. So um, you can, you know, if you haven't, don't have the past ones, you'll never collect them all, but collect as many as you can. Yeah. <laughs> They're awesome. It's fun little um, avatars. It is. And uh, it's a great challenge. We've had, I've had several people, um, come to me and say, I really like my blog really kicked off during the content warrior challenge because I put a lot of effort into it, wrote a lot of content in a short period of time. And a year later, that content is doing great. It really gave the, the site, the boost it needed to go. So it's a great opportunity to, to do that. Uh, the details of it, you can just find on the site in the menu. You can look under connect, um, and it's right there, Content Warrior Challenge. Um, and it's got all the details of how it works. It's just something that we do as Project 24 members. Yeah. Awesome. And usually we have like a spreadsheet for yep. you to Tracking. enter in, yeah. yeah, track your word count or your amount of videos or podcasts. And so we will uh, send out more details on that here pretty soon in a newsletter and probably in the community as well. So look out for that. Okay, so the first question is from R. Richley, and they say, hey, you guys, new here, and would like to know what you think about my niche idea, Lean Over 40 for Men, Health and Fitness for Men Over 40. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, so we, we kind of talked about this for a couple minutes before, um, and there's a couple things here. One is fitness is really competitive, mm-hmm. but... Um, you know, if, if you know that going into it, that's okay. Um, but the other issue here is just the question of, are we creating a distinction, an artificial distinction where there's not really a difference, right? So health and fitness for men versus health and fitness in general, that's the first part of it. I think there's a justifiable distinction. There's, there's some differences in mm-hmm. um, s- some things that are going to be specific to men. There's quite a bit that's not, but I think that's okay. 
having a target audience that's men, I think, makes sense. And then what about the over 40? Yes, over 40 versus under 40, I see a distinction. But like over 40 versus over 50 versus over 60, like what's where is should we have a specific distinction or should we just should it just be like health and fitness Mm -hmm. for men that are aging (laughs) like or that are getting older you know yes it's like uh, you know anyway yeah so I think your recommendation Anna was spot on yeah the thing that I would say is just keep your domain pretty broad so that way you do have the option to write about more broad topics if you run into those things in your search analysis Um, because it's not going to matter you know it's not going to benefit you more to put lean over 40 in your domain just keep it broad um, that way you don't pigeonhole yourself in totally I think you could find yourself writing about some content about nutrition that's maybe specific to your 50s um, maybe some that's specific to your 60s. And so, and, and that's fine. Those are both over 40. But, you know, what if there's something you come across that's a good opportunity that's for, for men in their 30s? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, shoot. That's <laughs> not. Um, and if it's like specifically over 40s, over 40, does that make it feel weird when you have content that's specific for your 50s? Because it doesn't apply to everyone. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think it's just going to limit your... Um, even just a mental limit mm-hmm. on your search analysis. Yeah. Because you're going to have that mindset of like over 40, 40s. Like it's yeah. going to, I think it's going to impact. Yeah. And even if the article is more broad and it could apply to men in their 30s or even 20s, if they're on Google and it pops up in the SERP, but they see like lean over men 40. over 40, they might it's, not want to oh, click yeah, on that. Yeah. That's probably not the article I was Yeah. It doesn't for. apply to me. So. And Julie had, Julia had a good point about like some of the things that would apply to older men. Like it's different, you know, the health of uh-huh. older men, right? Yeah. I don't know, potentially high risk for heart disease or diabetes or just your metabolism changing. Reading a book recently on mm-hmm. some of these things. And of course, you're always going to be at risk of that. I mean, less so when you're younger, but preventative. Right. So. Yeah, it might be nice to at least have the opportunity to make it more broad if you need to. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All righty. So the next question is from These a Moose. And they say, I've just started hiring writers and it's not going well. Regardless of how much pay and whether they are native English speakers or not, I find I need to spend at least an hour editing every 1500 word article. Is this normal or should I be breaking the bank to pay four times as much or more for seasoned professionals? I want a lot of content and I can't afford to spend that much time editing or to pay an editor to spend an hour or two on each article. So what I find is um, how much time you need to spend editing depends a little bit on you and just kind of how, how picky you want to be. Um, no one is going to write an article exactly the way you would. And so, uh, I mean, that's kind of up to you. On On our own websites, a lot of the content is written by our writers, our, you know, the same writers that are used for the Content Warrior writing service, um, which, by the way, is an option <laughs> for all of you who are wanting to outsource writing. It's, it's a good option. Uh, they write the content for our own sites. Uh, Cook for Folks is one that Anna writes content for but not all of it right Mm -hmm. we outsource some of that content to them as well 
and um, yeah, and we have a whole process there. Uh, someone writes, and then someone else, a team leader who's a more seasoned writer, edits the content to make sure um, that it's good, that it doesn't have any errors, that it has good images in it, and everything. Um, but it's, so at least two people are looking at it, and I think that helps a lot. But even then, every now and then, we find an article gets through that the, you know, the person that ordered it is like, that's eh, not really what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we, you know, like a lot of the services that Project 24 members have created, ours as well, we'll do rewrites for that. But what we find is, and this I think will really help you, is when you want something specific, if you want a specific type of research, if you want, um, even if you're like, oh, you know, Here's the, here's the answer to the question. Mm-hmm. Like, give that information to the writer. It takes a little bit more pre-work, but I think you'll spend a lot less time rewriting their article if you give them more upfront. So the overall time you'll spend will be less. So if you spent 10 minutes on every article just giving them, you know what, these are the subheadings I want. You don't have to give subheadings every time. Sometimes it's more obvious. But if you already know what you want them to be, or you know what one or two of them should be, give those to them. If there's, you know, you know what, I want a data table with this in it. Cool. Give that to them ahead of time. Um, They're not going to be able to guess what you want. I think that's probably one of the best things. And then the other one is give it a once over. If you need to tweak the voice a little bit, that's fine. If you want to add some personal anecdotes because you have personal experience on the topic, I think that's great um, to add. But then we maybe need to let some of the small stuff go. Mm-hmm. If, if we have to decide between spending more of our time and that's what's limited, then we probably need to let that go. That's a lesson for me too, by the way, because there are a lot of things I need to let go mm-hmm. <laughs> let um, because go. time is limited. Yes, kidding. I know. I'm like walking around soon. Um, that's my daughter that does that. I have a yeah. daughter that just loves Elsa. Um, yeah, I would totally agree with all of that stuff. You yourself are is the person who is going to care the most about your blog and your articles because you most likely know more than the writers because you've been doing it for longer. So yes, there is going to be a little bit of editing to do. Even when some of those articles come over from for Cook for Folks, I still have to make some edits, even though they've done a really good job and they've done a really good job with the grammar it's obviously me. And so I'm going to have to change the voice a little bit because they don't know my life story. Right. <laughs> so, and, and plus adding some story, yeah, just in, a personal story yeah, to it, making it more personal. So I guess you just need to account for that time a little bit. And if you want that personal story to weave into the article even better, then maybe write that out beforehand mm-hmm. and give that to the writer too and say, this is something I wrote. I want this to be fit into it. And then uh, even a half-decent writer should be able to work that in. Mm-hmm. And that'll give them a better idea of the voice you want for the article anyway. So what would you say in the case, I don't know what's the situation with this specific case, but at what point do you want to look for a different writer if there are a lot of grammatical issues or, you know, if they're just not a fluent enough native speaker? I imagine there is a line, right? Oh, totally. Um, absolutely. So if I'm giving them... This is what I, you know, this is generally what I want. Maybe, you know, I give them specific guidance of some kind or another. If that doesn't come back in the article, like to me, it's like, if you can't follow basic instructions, I'm sorry, this is not going to work. Likewise, if 
the writing comes back and it really doesn't sound, it sounds rough. Like it doesn't feel like, I mean, some grammatical errors here and there, that's one thing. There are some things that are technically grammatically wrong that we see happen with writers all the time because it's just become sort of like a style Mm -hmm. that people use. I um, actually saw a complaint the other day. Someone was like, I don't know why you, these college students write like in a future tense. So they're like, uh, in this situation, I will do this. And it's like, (laughs) no, in this situation, I do this or I would do Mm -hmm. this. I will do this. It's like, that's not the conditional. It's like, I would, that's more proper, but it's like, okay. But at that point, are we just kind of nitpicking? Um, but if it's more like, uh, I can tell this person does like, Mm -hmm. not just English is their second language. Like there's, they're still really working on it. Yeah. They're struggling. Um, Like that's not going to work for me very well either because I'm going to have to read every sentence of the article and probably restructure or add to most of them. Mm -hmm. That's, that's just a waste of my time. Um, and so, you know, here he says, um, I can't afford to spend that much time editing, but I also can't pay an editor to spend another hour or two on each article. Um, another thing to keep in mind with, uh, whether you hire writers or, or whatever, if, if these are people who are working for you, whether they're a contractor, um, or someone you like hired, right? So a freelancer whatever it is, um, or an employee, uh, if that's your process, you have to manage the whole process. Uh, when you when you outsource it to a service, um, you get to hand off more of the process. You're no longer in charge of paying people. You're no longer in charge of hiring and firing. You're no longer in... I think a lot of people underestimate the time that it takes just to do the administrative work of, of working with people, of having people to work for you, um, which is part of why services that you pay for have to charge more than three cents a word. Mm-hmm. Um, most freelancers don't, won't even write for three cents a word today. Um, our writers don't write for that cheap. They're, I have to pay them a, a real wage mm-hmm. there. Um, I mean, I don't, hi- cause I don't hire overseas. I, mm-hmm. you know, I hire, um, local people mm-hmm. and, but also I have to have full-time employees that, or I myself have to run the entire administrative piece of that and the hiring and the firing and we have to have an office and we have to, all of those things, um, they have cost. And then, so, so anyway, that, that's, that's kind of the point. That's why it costs more, but the benefit of that is you no longer have any of that on your plate. Mm-hmm. So something to keep in mind, if the, if the time is the bigger issue, maybe consider using a, a, a service where it's more built out mm-hmm. and you just literally hand us the pre-work and we will write the articles on your site and then you look them over and hit publish. Yeah. You have to determine how much time you want to spend on editing and how much it's worth it. If you are hiring just an individual or a contractor, you might want to give them a couple chances, give them some direction and some correction and see how they do it and figure out for yourself, how many chances am I going to give for this person? And, uh, you know, whether they're improving or not. So take that into consideration. I think that's a good question though. Like what is the line? I mean, if I have to rewrite the article or if you can't follow instructions, Mm -hmm. then, you know, if I have to rewrite it because I don't feel like your answer was the right one, 
but grammatically it was good, then I probably just didn't give you enough direction. That's my mm -hmm. fault. Uh -huh. If I have to rewrite it because every sentence has major problems <laughs> with the with the grammar, the spelling, whatever, um, then I probably just need someone with a little bit more mm -hmm. writing experience. By the way, Nathan just did a webinar about hiring and training writers. Yep. So you can go check that out on the Mastermind replay page. Just go to the Mastermind page and then scroll down and there's a replay page button. Okay, uh, next question is from Tonight's Moon. And they say, have any of you hired someone to be a host teacher for an online course that you then proceed to sell on your site. I mean, hiring someone with experience in your niche to contribute some of their knowledge to the course content and also be partly or completely the face of the product. I'd be interested to hear how it worked out in terms of how much you paid them upfront versus revenue sharing, whether it was profitable and anything else you learned in the process. Yes, sort of. We've done that. <laughs> you were talking about this. Um, I, I And I think it's something that I'd love to do more of, not necessarily in Project 24, but um, something that Jim and I talked about in the past was doing this on Backfire, where um, there are so many different skills that people want to build up that I'm not the expert in. Jim's not the expert in, but we have the audience for it. And so then what if we go to the expert that's even well-known in the industry, but who isn't a content creator, and then just hire them for a day or two. Um, I mean, you could work remotely with them to outline it, the content, and then, oh, you know, spend one day filming it. So the experience that we had specifically was um, about a year and a half ago, we did our ultimate content warrior challenge. The winner was Emma Cruz's project 24 member um, at the time. And we talked about what would be the ideal, you know, we were thinking like, you know, what would be the best thing? Cause one of the prizes was, we would pay them to create a course for Project 24 members. And um, turns out she has a lot of experience with Patreon. Um, basically like membership type, whether it's Patreon or there's other systems, but um, even a YouTube channel memberships, right? It all kind of falls under the same bucket. But it's like a subscription model to gain access to more premium content. Um, not quite like project 24 it's a different mm -hmm. you, you guys are probably familiar with patreon like behind the scenes or yeah. almost more content than they get on youtube yeah and like with patreon you can set like different levels so it's like um oh this person pays me five dollars a month and they get some you know behind the scenes access this person pays me 15 dollars a month so they get to be part of this other group or whatever um so there's lots of things you can do with it she has way more experience with that than i do because it's not a model that we've we've really implemented right and so i was like yeah that's perfect and she did exactly what i just described to you she proposed an outline of content i looked at we looked it over um i i don't even know if we had much back and forth it was like this is really good mm -hmm. and then she filmed the content and we published the course and we paid her a one-time fee um i'm generally reluctant to i would be reluctant to do a revenue sharing um Unless I'm going to have an ongoing business relation, like partnership with that person, like they're going to be bought in at, to the company. Like, I don't want to have to maintain ongoing business relationships with a whole bunch of different people. So like with the backfire model, if I were to hire 20 different people to make different courses on, because they're experts in their thing, I don't want to then 
be sending a check to that person for the next 20 years because once they created a course. And then you've got like, well, what's the agreement that we set? You know, what if I replace the course content two years from now? Because I think it's a little bit outdated. But they helped create the original one. So now you've got to make sure that you account for those issues in the contract because they say, well, but you built, you based the new one off of the course I helped you create in the first place. Like you're just, you're, I think you're asking for some trouble. Mm-hmm. I would rather say, hey, you're not the content creator. I, I am. Um, your expertise is in this thing. Would you be willing to work, work for me for one day for, mm-hmm. for two days for a thousand dollars? And how many people are going to be like, yeah, thousand dollars for a couple of days. Right. Sure. That'd be awesome. Um, I, I think, and, and it's going to depend on your industry, how much you have to pay, but you know, that would be a steal for most of us, um, to get someone to an expert Mm -hmm. to do that for us. But for them, what are their other options? Like there aren't a lot of options to go make a thousand dollars in a day for most people, even experts in their fields. And you mentioned this before the podcast, but ultimately the hope is that you make more revenue to pay for right. that resource. So it's like a win-win situation. Exactly. You get to make hopefully a lot of money on an ongoing basis and you just have this upfront cost. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So the next question is from a member and they say, hey all, first off, thanks for taking the time to read yet another post for me. Uh, Little do you know, it's on the podcast. Um, You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Mental health is something I'm passionate about. I know it's very YMYL, which stands for your money, your life. And I need to work hard to establish EAT. But is this a topic that could be prone to potential legal issues? If I write about depression and anxiety, could I be setting myself up for potential legal issues? Or what kind of disclaimer should I include? I'm not a doctor or mental health professional, and I would encourage people who need mental health care to seek the advice of a professional and not take what I say as gospel truth. But could someone in this niche be sued or face other legal action? Um, Well, first of all, Disclaimer, I'm not a lawyer, so um, you can't quite take what I say as legal advice. I or can just a tell doctor. You, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're asking a pretty legal question, and, and so, um, again, I'll just share what my understanding is, and if you want to take it further, then you might want to talk to an attorney in your jurisdiction where you live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but in general, um, the way this often works is, you will want to have disclaimers, um, especially if the content is something that could be potentially, like, could lead someone to do something potentially harmful. Um, and that, in mental health space, could probably be, like, anything. Like, any advice you give. And so what you want to do is, it's, it's really hard, like, you're giving advice, but you have to say that it's not advice, like, in your mm-hmm. disclaimer. It's like, this is not health care advice. I'm not a certified healthcare professional. Um, if, you know, if you're struggling with this, I still recommend you seek the help of a healthcare professional. You, I might even then have a link to a resource where people can find mm-hmm. healthcare professionals. You might even be able to like almost have a, a relationship with some of these where it's like, I mean, you might even like become an affiliate for like better help. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. Um, you know, a great resource is, is BetterHelp, which is like a virtual um, counseling where people can literally mm-hmm. just go like online and talk to someone. Um, and so that, that actually could be a good option for you. Um, but also to get people pointed toward someone who can help them in their specific circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, I might also include in the disclaimer something around how, you know, every individual is different. What I'm sharing here is what has worked for me mm-hmm. um, and what I understand, but your situation is probably going to be different than mine. Um, so the best thing to do is to talk to a professional mm-hmm. uh, who can help you through whatever you're going through. So I would, I would have a pretty clear disclaimer and I'd probably include it in every post. Um, probably you, hotline numbers too. So hot, I yes. was going to say. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. I would, even just to be safe, even if you put it in the content or the sidebar, I might even put it in the footer so that yeah. it's just on every page of the site. Like it's right there. Yeah. Like, you know, suicide prevention hotline, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so potential for being sued. The disclaimer helps you when it comes to getting sued. But um, I don't know. My concern goes beyond that to like, what if someone does the wrong thing based upon what I said? And so, um, and I think, I think I would want to go even that far to where it's like, it's not just about protecting me legally, but it's also like, you know, this is something that worked for me. And, and I might just say that even in the content sometimes, just like, you know, in my case, this really helps. Um, but it doesn't, it's not always the right thing for everybody. So here's resources. Like I would probably make that a very common thing Mm -hmm. throughout your content, but then I would have a very clear disclaimer in every post. You ask where the main disclaimer could be. I mean, it could be at the, at the bottom, but it might be something that you reference even throughout Mm -hmm. the post. Um, and you can put an anchored link. So, uh, in WordPress, that's actually not too hard to do where you can link to it. Um, and it will just send them down to the bottom of the page where it is. Um, you could write out a very long disclaimer and put it on its own page and reference it. But your reference to it needs to be um, needs to be relatively prominent uh, in your content, especially anywhere where you give specific advice. Mm-hmm. So if in the middle of a blog post, you're like saying, um, you know, here's something you can do, da-da-da-da-da. Like right there, I would then also say, but... I'm not a healthcare professional. Mm-hmm. So you probably, so you should probably, you should consult one before starting something new. It's kind of like every like diet thing. It's like, or every fitness thing. It's yeah. always like, make sure you talk to your doctor before starting a new healthcare. It's like, I'm not going to go call my doctor before I like start <laughs> going to the gym again. Yeah. My doctor's going to say, yes, please do, <laughs> you know? Um, but they, they're going to say that, right? Because they don't want, they don't want you to sue them because Mm -hmm. you went to the gym and had a heart attack. Yeah. So, yeah. The other thing to consider is this is a, like you said, a very YMYL topic. So most of the broader topics are going to be covered by WebMD or Healthline or those big, big websites. So yeah, just consider that Um, you may not be winning the top spots for those broader topics. Yeah, if I were talking about mental health, I think I'd probably, I'd probably go to YouTube and I mm-hmm. would probably make it more of a, a connection style YouTube channel um, where it's, yes, I'm sharing information, but it's also kind of about that connection in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think it'd be easier mm -hmm. than trying to succeed with a blog mm -hmm. on mental health just because the competition is going to be really stiff here and it's very YMYL. And if you're not a healthcare professional, building EAT is going to be extra hard. Mm -hmm. Another thing to you know, consider that goes along the lines of what we've just discussed, but I've seen this a lot in like health videos, but people say like, this is just my experience. Please right. do not copy my experience because yeah. it's not going to work for you. Yeah. Every person is different. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Yeah. Your disclaimer doesn't necessarily have to be super long. I was kind of like giving some ideas of maybe what some of the elements of it should be. But yeah, I mean, even something like that could be, could be pretty effective. And you might do something that's a little bit customized from post to post, just like depending upon what sort of information you shared. Um, some posts, if they get it all heavy, it's like, yeah, yeah, let's make sure that we're pointing people to resources. Some posts are probably going to be a lot lighter mm -hmm. and it's like, yeah, but this is just my experience. What, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, make sure that you, <laughs> talk to somebody about your own experience. Yeah. But I would say like, even if it is about stress or anxiety, still include those resources totally. because yep. you never know. Um, we always did when I was in the news, like even yeah. if it was about stress, we still did talk about the suicide hotline. So that's something you could include on the very bottom or something. Yeah. I think that I would include on every page, yeah. either somewhere on the page or, or at least in the footer. So you make sure you never, it's always there. Mm hmm I do know of a blogger who is blogging on that topic and she's doing very well. And I'm sure it's so competitive, but I think if it were me, I would probably look at other people in the industry that are doing it from a personal perspective and maybe sort of go at it from whatever angle they're taking instead of like, okay, how do I compete with this WebMD post? Yes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And people appreciate that personal experiences because they can oh, yeah, relate totally. to them. And, and when we say like, go at it from that angle. It, I, we don't mean go copy everything that the mm -hmm. posts they wrote. Right. Um, I just, I shouldn't have to say that hopefully in project 24, but um, in the blogging industry, I kind of do have to say that, mm -hmm. but just, yeah, take a similar angle to it. Um, don't try to just, yeah, pick random, you know, random topics from your search analysis that WebMD is the top four. All right. Awesome. I think that was a great question that could probably oh, yeah, totally. relate to a lot of people in the YMYL space. So that is what we have for you today. We really appreciate you listening as always and have a great rest of your day or morning or evening, whatever it is. <laughs>